Matthew, no, <laughs> Mark, Mark chapter 14, if you would turn there in your Bibles. Yesterday, um, you were all invited by the way, but yesterday a number of us went down to Bellevue for a one-day conference, and it was wonderful. I enjoyed it so much. The little bit of feedback I got from some of the folks that came said the same. Um, I was telling Sandy afterwards, Sandy Adams was our speaker. He's from Georgia and um, Calvary Chapel out there. And I told Sandy, I said, you know, Sandy, it's been so long since we've had something like this where we could invite the folks from our fellowships to come out to. And, and it, was, it was just such a rich time. He kind of went over the Calvary distinctives, which is important for those that are new to Calvary Chapel, uh, wondering what we're all about, you know, what makes us tick, and pointing out that the Calvary distinctives are really biblical distinctives. That's the only way, reason we hold to them. But I, I think it was an encouragement, you know, he got up and he said to those gathered there, speaking really of the servants, Sunday school teachers and ushers and secure, all of the folks that serve, he says, you guys are the backbone of the church. And uh, amen and amen and amen to that. It's true. Every church, you know, churches are built on uh, volunteer service. <laughs> I mean, that's how they, they are. And so, you know, depending upon... How well we do or not, you know, really depends upon the ministry at any local church. But very thankful for yesterday. Father, we pray that as we continue our study through the Gospel of Mark, we ask, Father, that you would speak to us. We pray, Lord, as we're looking at scriptures that perhaps are familiar to us, or at least kind of an outline of these things. We understand these things. We knew that these things took place so long ago. We pray, Father, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word, that we might be open to the leading of your spirit, so that when we see things, you know, good qualities, bad qualities, that you would speak to us, and that we would not do the bad and seek to do the good. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So if you were with us last week, you know that we we, we saw in Chapter 14, verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him, betray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he, that is Judas, sought how he might conveniently betray him. So picking up from that, that's kind of the backdrop of what's happening here. And it says, now on the first day of unleavened bread, when the when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? So guys, this, in one sense, it was not something new to them. They had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus for three years. They had eaten other Passover meals with Jesus. They knew, you know, what Jesus wanted them to do. And they were asking, you know, where, where do you want us to do it? Where do you want us to set it up and all? so that you could eat Passover. And he said, and he sent out two of his disciples, and Luke tells us that the two disciples that he sent out were Peter and John, which is important and interesting if you're a Bible student. 
It's interesting to you because you know, you pick up on the fact from the reading of the Gospels that Peter and John had a rivalry between them. And uh, it's interesting how the Lord would kind of pair up people that uh, might have a difficult time with one another. And so he sends out the two disciples and he said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, follow him. Wherever he goes in, Say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? You know, say this in the first person. Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there. Make ready for us. So I want you to think about this because, again, guys, there's nothing in the scripture that's dull. I'm telling you, if you're bored with the word of God, you need to be born again. You need to be born of the Spirit because the Word of God is not boring. The Word of God is life-changing. It's like air. It really is. And you look at this and you say, well, you know, Jesus, you could say, Jesus must have set this up. He must have had a guy. He must have said, now I want you to take a, you know, a container of water and I want you to just kind of wait in the alleyway here and you'll see two guys, um, Peter and John. Let me describe them for you. When you see these two guys coming, then you step out carrying the water and they'll follow you. I mean, you could look at it that way or you could look at it as I believe it is that the Lord who is God eternal outside of time, is telling them what they'll see. Not that he set it up beforehand, but this is how it's going to go down. Some Bible teachers like to point out the fact that it would have been something unusual to see a man carrying water rather than a woman carrying water because typically the women would carry the water. And so maybe this was really the sign that it would be a man carrying the water. You'll note when you read the account that they don't say anything to the man carrying water. They just follow the man carrying the water. And when the man goes into the house, then they say to the master of the house, where is the room? Where is the place where we might celebrate, we might eat the Passover? Verse 16, so his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. And in the evening he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. In verse 19, And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him, One by one, is it I? Now, Guys, we don't have just Mark's gospel. We have the synoptic gospel. So we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So they're very similar. Then we have John's gospel. John's gospel is very unique, very different. Um, but we know that, that there were other things that took place. In fact, Luke tells us that Jesus said to them, he didn't start out, apparently, with uh, one of you is going to betray me. He started out with, with fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Apparently, that's how he started, with fervent desire. Desire, it speaks of a longing. I've longed for this. And you wonder, why did you long for this one? Well, because this one was going to be different than the other ones. This one was going to be unique. This one was going to be different. And of course, as we read on, as you read the account, we see that it was different. But we note that Jesus makes a statement that one of them would betray him. Now that narrows it down, doesn't it? One of you, one of you. 
And then he goes a little bit further and he says, well, one of the 12, so apparently there were others in the room, but now, now it's not just one of you in the room, it's, it's one of the 12. And so they begin to ask. They, they're sorrowful. And, and you'll note that they didn't suspect Judas. I mean, there's no indication that they immediately thought Judas is the one. You know, I always thought that guy was sketchy. Um, but rather we see some humility in them because they all, one by one, said, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Man, I don't even trust my own heart. Is it I? Am I the one that's going to betray you, Lord? It's interesting, guys, when you look at the scriptures, and, and I, you know, I'm, I, I feel like I'm always doing an advertisement for the word of God, and I shouldn't have to with the people of God. With the people of God, there should be a yea and amen because you're doing your due diligence and you're reading and studying the word of God. But when you study the word of God, we have these, these aha moments as you read the scriptures where you read something and, and maybe you don't know the exact address, but you say to yourself, you read something and you say, I've read this before. Where have I seen this before? And I'm referring to the fact that they were there eating, and one of those that were eating with him would betray him. Do you remember David? Do you know that David, King David, is a prophet? Many times when I say that, people are shocked, and I think, have you not read the book of Acts? Paul said that David was a prophet, and have you not read the Psalms? If you've read the Psalms, you know that David was a prophet. Now, we never see him being referred to in the Old Testament as a prophet. He's a king. He's a shepherd. He's a warrior. He's a, he's a psalmist. He's a lot of things, you know. But we, we never see that title, prophet, in the Old Testament. But when you look at the scriptures, of course, he spoke prophetically. And by the way, from this point on in Mark's gospel, we're going to see how David wrote prophetically concerning the sufferings of Christ. But getting back to what I'm leading up to, David wrote in Psalm 41, verse 9, Even my own familiar friend in whom I have trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Now, David wrote that, no doubt, because he had experienced that. Didn't he have people that pretended to be his friend, and then they deceived him? I mean, they stabbed him in the back, and some of them would have literally stabbed him in the back if they had the opportunity to do that. But David wrote this prophetically. You say, how do you know that? Because in John's Gospel account, Jesus quotes this verse saying, this is what I'm referring to. David wrote it. David spoke these words. This is prophetic. Surely it applied to him to, to, to a degree, but the fulfillment of it is seen in me, in my experience, Jesus would say. Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? You know, guys, it's good to be humble. <laughs> It is good to be humble. You know, I think sometimes, you know, I, over the years I've heard people say, and I'm sure I've said a lot of foolish things, but I've heard people say, I, will, I would never deny the Lord. And it's almost as if they're reading, you know, Peter's words, you know, because Peter said that very thing. I'll never deny you. I'll never deny that I knew you, you know. And yet many times we end up eating our words. 
Matthew tells us that as they were going around asking Jesus, is it I, is it I, is it I? That Judas asked the same question. Did you know that? It wasn't like Judas was just kind of sitting there over by himself and just saying, yeah, it's not me. But Judas had asked the same question. Judas, in fact, let me read it. It says, then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? Is it I? And Jesus said to him, you've said it. You've said it. Now that's interesting because in our account, look what it says, it goes on. And it says, verse 17, in the evening he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus uh, said, assuredly I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? And he answered and he said to them, it is, a, it is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes as it is written of him. So it's already been prophesied. It's happening the way it was supposed to happen, is what Jesus is saying. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better or good for that man if he had never been born. You know, guys, be careful when you read or watch, you know, some version of the Gospels and, and uh, you know, some modern-day author or movie maker or whatever, try to make Judas out to be some sort of hero, you know. He was just playing his part, you know. He's just, you know. No, Jesus said, listen, it's going down the way it's been prophesied. But Judas, it'd be better if he is never born. Uh, what does that mean? AJ asked the question between services. What does that mean? I said, I have no idea. But I do know this, that we know that the Antichrist and the false prophet, that their judgment will be more severe than any others. They'll be cast into the abyss. And, and maybe Judas will, will, will be there with them because he's kind of an Antichrist type of figure. And so... All of this is happening. This is, this is the final night that they would be with him. Now, none of these guys knew that. Though Jesus had told them what was going to come. All of these things, you know, are happening. And for them, they're probably thinking, we're Jews. I, I've eaten Passover meal all of my life. I've eaten... Three Passover meals with Jesus. Maybe two, three, I don't know. Passover meals with Jesus. We've been in Jerusalem. We, we, you know, maybe it was a different location last year or the year before, but, but we've done this before. I, you know, we're going we're, we're gonna to eat the Passover meal. Everything's going to be okay. Verse 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, broke it, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out 
to the Mount of Olives. Now, we know what happens in the Mount of Olives. Of course, that's where Jesus prays. We'll see that next week. And um, is arrested and so on and so forth. But I want us to catch the fact that Jesus did something here. In fact, our text today is centered around supper. Did you know that? It's centered around not just one supper, but three suppers. Well, it's actually three suppers in one. So the supper is Passover, but it's also the last supper that Jesus would have with them. And it's also the Lord's Supper that he institutes at this one supper, the Passover meal. So guys, things are happening here at this Passover. This is no doubt, this would have been a moment in their time. And again, maybe they didn't appreciate it. It seemed like they didn't appreciate a lot of the things that were happening in the moment. But when they looked back and they thought about what had happened and what was said and what was taught, then, oh man, they appreciated it and they understood it and they preached it and, and taught it and, and all. But, but Jesus takes the elements of the Passover meal and he reinterprets them. Now, you guys know what the Passover was about. Passover was when the children of Israel, of course, they, they, they go into bondage. They didn't know they were going into bondage. You know, it wasn't a judgment thing, really. Uh, they end up, 70 members and all, they go to Egypt. They go to Egypt because there's a famine in the land. It's difficult for them. So uh, they go to Egypt. There, of course, um, Jacob is reunited with his long-lost son that he thought was killed and gone and you know, beautiful, beautiful story of redemption and all, and forgiveness, Joseph's forgiveness for his brothers who really were bad dudes. Uh, but of course, the family grew. <laughs> Over 400 plus years, the family kept growing and growing and growing and became a great nation. And then the hammer came down. Then the oppression then difficulties came. And those were ordained by God, by the way. So listen to this. Here's a bit of life, life application. Are things going real smooth for you? Or maybe there's some bumps in the road. Maybe the bumps in the road are because the Lord is trying to get your attention. Because he does that because he loves us so much. You know, if there was never oppression in Egypt, they never would have left Egypt. Why would you want to? We've lived here generation after generation after generation. This is our home. We live by the Nile. We, we eat leeks and onions. <laughs> I doubt that they did much of that, but of course that's how they remembered it. But because of the difficulties, they were ready to go. It's time to go. Let's move. Let's get out of this miserable existence that we're in. If you're in a miserable existence, man, wake up. The Lord's giving you... He's trying to say, go this way, go this way, go this way. And if we heed his voice, we'll be set free. But Jesus celebrates the Passover. He reinterprets the Passover elements. The bread no longer symbolizes the fact that the children of Israel had to depart. They, their hurried departure from Egypt. Now, now, the elements of the Passover meal... It, the, the bread represents the very body of Jesus offered for sins. Think about that. that it's just so mind-blowing. 
You know, guys, we knew it was mind-blowing because Jesus dealt with this in John chapter 6. And, of course, the people were blown away. They were, they were stumbled by what Jesus was saying. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. But here he pours in new meaning. So, so what's, what's the true meaning? Well, the true meaning is the bread represents the body. The other is the shadow. This is the reality. And so then the, the wine of course, the wine no longer symbolizes the blood of the lamb. Now, Jesus says, you need to understand this. Listen very carefully, he might say to them. Now, the wine speaks of the blood of the lamb. I'm playing with you a little bit. Different lamb. The blood of the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Guys, listen, yesterday at our little conference, we were exhorted, we were encouraged to kind of, you know, uh, it was a great illustration, but, you know, speaking in such a way that people can understand, and that's so important that we speak in a way that that people can understand, non-believers. But, you know, as believers, we, we should be able to understand biblical terminology. I mean, we really should. We should be growing and maturing so we understand what redemption means and, and you know, the blood and those types of things. We, we really need to know what those things mean. And we need to know our Bibles. That's the only way we'll know the terms if we know the Bibles, if we're students of the Scripture. In fact, I've said it many, many times before that the cross really, truly, other than some sentimental thing or traditional thing, will mean absolutely nothing to you if you do not understand Genesis, first three chapters. If you do not understand what took place during the time of the Exodus, the lamb, the blood of the lamb over the doorpost and the, of, the, of the doors, covering it. It's meaningless. It doesn't make sense. The whole sacrificial system, don't be one of these people. There's so many of them. They, are, they embarrass themselves. It's almost like the guy, I've told the story, I listened to a, a call-in radio. I was listening to call-in Christian radio. I can't really stomach it much any longer, but I used to listen to Christian radio quite a bit. And it was on uh, the King James Only Bible. You know, that was a big controversy. It still is among some people. The question even came up at our conference yesterday, which I thought was interesting. But King James Only. King James Only. And one caller called in, and, uh, and I'm not making fun of him. He just happened to be from the South, and so he had a strong Southern accent. And then he made the statement. Now, the statement... I was so embarrassed for him. I blushed for him as I was driving in my vehicle, listening to him, and the statement was this. If the King James Bible was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for me. And it's like, oh, no. The King James Bible didn't exist in Paul's day. The English language, as far as we know, didn't exist in Paul's day. See, when you make statements like that, people just kind of go, man, you, you, <laughs> there's a problem here. You know what we got to kind of get over, guys? Because a lot of people think that Christians are stupid, and we don't want to prove them right. 
<laughs> we, we, we want to know the scriptures so that when we know the scriptures, we say, this is, this is that, this is why this connects, this is that. And we know that from studying the scriptures. But, but you know, there are people who will say, you know, well, I, I, I like Jesus. I love Jesus. But I just have a hard time with the God of the Old Testament. Almost as if they're two different gods. There's one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And there's this picture that people have. You know, the God of the Old Testament, he was just always grumpy. And, uh, you know, he's just always had issues. And judgment was his big thing. And, and Jesus, you know, he comes along. And, and uh, he's nothing like the God of the Old Testament. He is the God of the Old Testament. There's only one God. See? And you say, if you were to ask, if you were to press and say, well, no, why do you say that? Well, you know, I just think it was mean for God to demand the children of Israel to offer up these cute little lambs and goats and, and calves. And, and if the, for the poor people, they could bring a, a turtle dove or a pigeon, you know. I just think that was wrong. And I'll tell you, if you're saying things like that, you're missing the whole point of redemption, I mean, the writer of Hebrews tells us that this endless sacrifice that happened year after year, decade after decade, you know, I mean, just over and over and over. And it was, and all it could do is cover, cover, cover the sins until the Lamb of God came upon the face of the earth to take away the sin of the world. So it's Christ. So all of that was a foreshadow. So we look at this and we understand it. In fact, I'm convinced, you know, if we were able, Christians, many times Christians, and especially American Christians, we have this tendency to think that everything began with us. You know, that every, everything, we see everything through an American lens. We picture Jesus talking like us. You know, Jesus, he was probably the, the most handsome guy on the block, you know. Beautiful blonde hair. Blue eyes. Oh, he's from the Middle East. He probably had olive skin and dark hair and a beard. And who knows what color his eyes were. It doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is it's not what he looked like. It's who he is, who he, who he you know, what he said, what he taught. But we need to understand these things. And if we were able to be kind of, you know, go into a time machine and go back to the temple, most of us, though we should, we should drop to our knees and praise Jesus and praise the Lord and say, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice that you've made. But most professing Christians today would be disgusted if they were there at the temple and the priests with their white ephods on, covered with blood. Do you think they were, do you think they were covered with blood? Why do you think there was a basin there? <laughs> Why'd they need the basin to wash? I mean, it was a graphic picture for the children of Israel. Your sin kills. This is what most of us don't understand. And this is why we take sin lightly. Your sin kills. Oh, that's an Old Testament principle. No, it's not. For the wages of sin is death. That's New Testament. And, and we need to understand this. And when we understand this, 
And then we look to Jesus, the Lamb of God, our substitute, the one who died in our, our place, the one who took the wrath that was due to us. He didn't deserve any wrath. And yet the wrath of the Father was poured out upon him. And Isaiah tells us it pleased the Lord, it pleased the Father to do that. Why? Because he says it's better me than you. And we should say yay and amen to that. We should say thank you, Lord, that it's not us. And if you placed your faith in Christ, you know, you are saved because of the blood of the Lamb. Well, he, he, he pours in this new meaning, this new interpretation of, of what they were doing. I doubt that they ever <laughs> ate the Passover meal, and I believe that they did year after year after year. But I don't think they ever ate it the same way. I think that when they would, would they'd take those cups, and they would take that bread, and they would remember because that was part of their tradition. They were Jewish people. They'd remember. But then I think there would be a smile that would break out on their face when they thought of Jesus. Jesus said in verse 24, and he said to them, this is the blood of, my, of the new covenant, excuse me, which is shed for many. Now, note that in the Bible. You see the word new? Some of you will note that some of your Bibles will say that that word new is not there or it's excluded. So if, if, if so, then it would say, this is, my, uh, this is my blood of the covenant which I shed for many. It really doesn't matter if the new there is not because what Jesus was doing was new. It had never been done before. And so I have no problem with the word new there, obviously. But the new covenant, does that remind you of anything? On Wednesday night, we're going to finish up our topical studies on uh, biblical discipleship. You know, guys, we, we do these things because we want to benefit you guys. We want to teach you. We, we really hope that this would be a topic that would just kind of ring true for you guys. So we moved upstairs so that we could fit more people. And well, we're back downstairs because we didn't need the space upstairs and uh, Nate did a wonderful teaching last Sunday. I encourage you to go online to our website and listen to Nate's teaching from last Wednesday. It was it was it was wonderful, wonderful teaching. At least it just spoke to me. It was every every part of it was just so good. But um, we're going to be going into the Book of Jeremiah after that. So I, I'm going to do another uh, discipleship study on Wednesday. Then Nate's going to do a prophecy update on the Wednesday after that. And then we're going to be going into the book of Jeremiah. Do you guys read the book of Jeremiah? Isaiah? Ezekiel? Do you read the prophets? I hope you read the prophets. Because when you read the prophets and then you read the New Testament, you're going to say, I've heard this before. (laughs) I've read this someplace before. Guys, listen. Faith comes by hearing. This is it. It's not supposed to. Christianity is not supposed to be boring. As a born-again person, born again, born of the Spirit of God, you have the Spirit of the living God within you. As you read the Scriptures, it both satisfies and then at the same time, it, it, it creates this longing within you for more. 
It's like, oh, I want more. I want more of God's word. I want to understand these things. And you look forward to the day when we stand before the Lord and we will know as we are known. And I'll tell you, it's going to be mind-blowing to know scripture, to see Jesus, to be in his presence, and to see how scriptures, I never, Lord, the ones that you pointed out to us, the ones in the New Testament where you said, this is that which the prophet, you know, fill in the blank, spoke of. Thank you for that, Lord. But oh boy, there were so many others that we didn't even catch, Lord. Thank you. Listen, Jeremiah chapter 31 You guys know that Jeremiah was given a glimpse of the New Testament. Now, there was no church. The incarnation of Christ had not come. They were were about to go into their Babylonian captivity. But in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 35, we're told in verse 34 that the new covenant is about this. Well, the new covenant is, for I will forgive their iniquities and their sins I will remember no more. That's good. That's gospel, by the way. That's gospel. Here's here's another example. Um, In Jeremiah 31, verse 33, God said, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. That's that's what the Lord has done. You know, guys, I, I need to watch my time, but... You know, in any church, you have religious people who attend churches. You say, aren't we all supposed to be religious? Well, what I mean when I say religious is sometimes people are religious up here, but not here. I mean, their hearts haven't been revived by the Spirit of God. They haven't really been changed, you know. And and there are many people, and their hope is in politics. Which, by the way, you know, elections are coming up. Do your due diligence. I shouldn't have to tell any of you this. You're Christians. Vote for life. The whole thing is coming down to life. The whole thing is coming down to abortion. Vote for life. That's what you vote for if you want to make it simple, you know. So you do your due diligence. No one should have to tell you to do that. But people get upset that I don't say things like this. I wish you were more like Jack Hibbs. I'm not Jack Hibbs. I'm Dan Renner. Thank you for Jack Hibbs. There's only one Jack Hibbs, and he's doing what the Lord has laid upon his heart. But here's the thing that I always like to kind of poke the hot stick at a little bit, is sometimes, and Jack Hibbs would definitely not fall into this category because I know what Jack Hibbs teaches, but there are those who think that our hope lies in who's in the house, the White House, or the Senate, or the House, you know, It it depends upon that. No, 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 no. Our hope rests in the Lord and in him alone. And, 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 and 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 there are people, religious people that come, you know what? The nation has gone to hell in a handbasket when they took down the Ten Commandments. And I think, you've got to be kidding I grew up in a church, a Catholic church, you know, went to parochial school. Ten Commandments, it was all about Ten Commandments. I mean, you learned reading, writing, and arithmetic, and the Ten Commandments. And you knew how to quote the Ten Commandments. What's commandment number 10? What's commandment number 4? What's commandment number... I mean, <laughs> but anyway, the commandments. Jesus says, and we should be excited about this. Don't get angry with me. We should be excited about this. He says, New Covenant. 
I'm taking my law and I'm writing it on your heart. Really, Lord? Yeah. Guys, please get this because many people don't. Thou shalt not kill. I live by the golden rule. I. Jesus says, but if you're angry with your brother, have you ever been angry with your brother? I've been angry with brothers and sisters. And according to Jesus, by his standard of the law, interpretation of the law, I've murdered in my heart. Oh, woe is me. I need salvation. I need help. I need to be saved. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I've been faithful to my spouse. All my And people take pride in this. And it's almost as if they never wander into the New Testament where Jesus says, if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart or a man with lust in your heart, it goes both ways. And there's not a person that's alive that hasn't at one time or another, and it's probably more times than we'd like to admit, have looked with lust. And the point is, is that you get to the point you realize, man, if it was up to me, if it was up to me to keep ten laws, ten commandments, and again, most American Christians don't realize it's not ten, it's 615 or 16, I always forget the number, but you say, what? Yeah, this is not ten commandments that God gave. And who did he give the commandments to? The children of Israel. See, guys, do you see the loop? I keep saying, we're not Israel. Israel's not us. We haven't replaced Israel. Thank you, Lord, for this new body that you've created in the church. You are the head. We are the body. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. See, if we understand our place and our position, if we understand that this new covenant, he, he takes his law in, and he puts it upon our mind and upon our heart. And we realize that the law that we... Listen, listen, listen to me. There is no law that says when someone's tailgating you, you cannot say, jerk, in your heart, in the cab of your vehicle. I would break that law all the time. But here's the thing. I have the law of God on my heart. And, I, and I'm constantly, you know, oh, what a jerk, man, back off. And I immediately say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Would you help me, Lord, for my attitude? See, there's no law for that. It is that inner law. It is that inner standard that the Lord has given us, guys. It's greater than the tablets. Some of you won't understand this. You'll, you'll leave. You'll, that's it, you know. They took away prayer in school. No, they didn't. Do you have Christian kids? They could pray in school. They could pray any way where they want. Tell them to pray, pray, pray. Just don't pray like Pharisees. And everything will be fine. <laughs> you know. We know this to be true. We like to split hairs. Oh, and one other thing, and I've got to, and I'm out of time. Surprise, surprise. But because we got we're gonna partake of communion. But the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, verse 33, I will be their God and they shall be my people. We're going to hand out this communion right now. And um, we're going to partake. And many of you know, so ushers, come on up and go ahead and hand it out. We're going to all partake together, so just hold them. But, But many of you know that communion, I don't believe it's, 
as the Lutherans believe, how do they put it, that at communion, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ are present, they say, in, with, under the bread and wine. I don't believe that. Or the Roman Catholics or the Anglins or the Orthodox who believe that once the priest consecrates the bread and the wine, it becomes the body of Christ. He's not crucified over and over and over again. He's been crucified once, once for us. I believe as the scriptures teach in 1 Corinthians, I went there at the first service. Obviously, I didn't make time at this service. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that communion is looking back, do this in remembrance, that communion is looking forward with expectation of his coming, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That communion is looking within for self-examination, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Remember, there's a warning of taking communion in an unworthy manner, see? But here's the thing. If you never get to opening the cup, there's a problem. If it's the fear of what might be, there's a problem. The problem is this. Let a man, let a woman examine themselves, and so let them eat of the bread and drink. Examine. Lord, forgive me. Guys, do do we understand this relationship that we have with the Lord through the blood, through the sacrificial offering of Jesus Christ, that where sin abounds, grace abounds, that much more. We don't sin, you know, just with this attitude of, well, I'll just ask for forgiveness later. But when we've sinned, we know that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And see, that's where the devil gets us. Many times, we want to act like Roman Catholics when we sin. We want to do penance. We want to somehow pay for the wrong that we have done. And I'm telling you that when we have that attitude, just kind of like, I'm unworthy, Lord, I'm unworthy, Lord, it's an insult to the Lord. And we need to examine ourselves. And if there's things that are not right, repent and partake. Help me, Lord. Give me strength, Lord. Guys, if it was anything but that, you know, there would be no hope. Do you know, before we partake, that Jesus at the Passover, do you know that there are four cups at the Passover? And Jesus took the cup, most likely at the end of of the meal of the Passover, and it was the cup of I wills, if I wills, let me show you what I'm referring to. In Exodus chapter 6, it says, Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now, listen, first of all, I will bring you out. Secondly, I will rescue you from what? From their bondage. Thirdly, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, and with great judgment. And the last cup, the last 
has really two parts to it. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. So Jesus, he took that cup and he says, I will, I will. What will you do, Lord? I will bring you out. I want you to think about this. We don't have to sin. We've been set free from the bondage of sin. We, we have now the ability in Christ, it's not in ourselves, but it's in Christ, to live a different life. There are too many Christians that are absolutely miserable with their lives. And some Christians, they want to go play games. And there's plenty of churches where you can go play games and think that, you know, well, this is really it. But I'm telling you, it's understanding what the Word of God says and believing what the Word of God says. I'm in Christ. He said, I will bring you out. I've been brought out. I'm in Christ. He said, I will rescue you. He's rescued me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not subject to the old man, to the old life. I don't have to live the way I once lived. I'm not a slave to that any longer. I've been set free. He says, I will redeem you. He has redeemed us with his blood. Not with perishable things, Peter said, like silver or gold. We would say, silver or gold, those are perishable, or those are precious things. And he goes, no, 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 those are perishable things. But by the imperishable blood of Jesus. Jesus says, I will take you as my people. Think of that, guys. What a privilege we have. I mean, do you guys ever just stop and sit and, and talk to the Lord? Do you ever refer to him, not disrespectfully, but do you ever refer to him as Papa or Abba? See, kind of the equivalent, Abba. It's a biblical Abba, Abba, Father, Abba. I belong to you, Lord. I'm yours, Lord. And then he says, I will be your God. You know what's mind-blowing? <laughs> As all this was happening, and Jesus, you know, Judas, you're the one, you know. Uh, the others don't know about this. It's just between him and Judas. They're dipping in the same bowl. They're eating of the same, you know, food together. He, he pours in new meaning to the, the Passover the wine, the bread and the wine. And Luke tells us that they got into another dispute. The disciples did. Once again, what were they disputing? As to which of them should be considered the greatest. You gotta be kidding. You know, we can look at them with critical fingers and say, what's wrong with you guys? Man, what a bunch of fools, you know. Or we can humbly say, oh, Lord, that's how I am. Even at church, Lord, your word could be going forth, and I could be so sidetracked by some other thing that's so frivolous, something that's concerning me, 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 rather than you, you, you. And I think that's what Jesus was attempting to do to these men that were gathered there. It's not about who's greatest among you. It's the fact Jesus would say that I'm the greatest 
I'm the one. I'm the promised one. I'm the one that the prophet spoke of. I'm the one that the law spoke of. I'm the one. Moses said, when I come, hear him. Are you hearing me? He might say, even to us today. Father, we pray that as we partake, that you would remind us that we might look back in remembrance with gratitude in our hearts. We pray that we might look forward with expectation of your soon coming. Maranatha, we pray to that, Lord. And we pray, Father, that we might look within with self-examination and just really have a short list with you. Not live a life of habitual sin, but live a life of total dependence upon you, Lord. We love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake. Could I get one of those, too?